tio första minuten detta samtal så är en del lågfrekvent bullrande. Så tycker man det är jobbigt så kan man hoppa fram tio minuter. Och i våra show notes så finns det också mer info om man vill veta mer om sakerna vi nämner i detta avsnitt. Och vill du stödja den här podden så att jag kan göra mer material så får du gärna gå in på Patreon och skänka en slant. Tack så mycket. Hello, welcome to uh, Allt spelar roll or in English Everything Matters podcast. Um, today I have a good friend coming all the way through Zoom uh, <laughs> from Tokyo, Japan. Her name is Shogun Horoiwa and uh, we've known each other for almost 10 years I think soon and we know each other from uh, a common friend in in Japan so we met here in Sweden yeah i don't know eight years ago or something and then yeah you were going to um uh, an opening ceremony in in uh, germany in hamburg uh to help your teacher shodo rada roshi if i remember correctly And uh, I just say something short about your background and then you could add <laughs> an info I miss. So you were born in Tokyo, uh, raised in Brazil, then moved back to Tokyo and you work now at uh, a university in Tokyo uh, with intercultural communication. And you also run the One Drop Sendo, which is uh, the local dojo for Shodorada's tradition, insights and tradition in Tokyo. So welcome, Shodo. <laughs> Shogun Horoiwa. Hello. Good you. Hi. Hi. Okay, so thanks for having me here. Um, more recently, I host a space called We Space, um, which Thomas Hubel started on the outset of Corona, uh, COVID-19. And it is a free space offered on Zoom, lasts for about an hour. And we space is a space where we just witness each other's presence. And this essence is so very um similar to, if not exactly the same as the spirit of Zen and the spirit of tea, because what is asked of there is just to be present and to be totally present uh, seems very easy, but is often neglected these days because we space, we just stay silent and feel each other through the screen. And then what Thomas Hobo calls, I see you seeing me and I feel you feeling me happens. And this is the same as um, what Thich Nhat Hanh, for example, calls interbeing because I exist because you exist and you exist because I exist kind of thing. So anyway, I offer this on, <clears throat> on, um, on Zoom. And um, 
I have an upcoming open day for the day of Hiroshima being bombed and the day of Nagasaki being bombed. And the reason I started this uh, Hiroshima day was precisely because on the year I met David, um, I visited um, Hanover after Stockholm. And there, um, you know, Germany was like Japan, um, a country that lost World War II. And Hiroshima and Hanover are two sister cities. So I was so moved to witness that on that very day, August 6th, which is coming up, you know, this weekend, this year, the citizens of Hanover would gather in this um, church where there's no roof because um, it was bombed um, during World War II. And they keep it that way just as a reminder to not to go into war ever again. And the citizens gather and the city mayor of Hanover uh, gives speech. And then there's tea ceremony that is given to, to be dedicated to, to all the souls and spirits um, who were sacrificed during that war, both in Germany and in Japan. And when I witnessed that, I thought, wow, tea ceremony could be such profound um, expression of deep, deep prayer that goes beyond any sect of religion, of, of, of language, of any barrier. And that's how I came to use tea ceremony as a way of um, um, seeing people off. And so when I returned to Japan after that, um, somebody who operates a nurse station, visiting nurse station in Japan. Do you know what, what that is? It's a, it's a visiting, it's a visiting nurse station, you know, uh, for people who does home care for their families. And because they are too sick to go to the hospital or too old to go to the hospital, doctors visit and nurses visit. And so my friend opened a nurse station, they call it a station, and um, dispatched nurses to those homes. And she came to me after one year and said, you know, last one, one year, during last year, I, we, our station saw like about 10, 12 families um, who lost their family members. Each family has a different religion or no religion, but I want to bring them together and do some kind of ceremony, but I just don't know which kind of ceremony to do. So I suggested, why not do a tea ceremony? And we created our own device, our own ceremony. Um, I asked each family members to bring flowers and candies that the the lost member loved, and we together created a shared altar. And then I performed a, a particular kind of tea ceremony as a dedication for all the spirits, all the 
members of the family who deceased last year. And then each person shared some things and we had light lunch. And so that became like a ceremony um, of that nurse station. So I guess um, because of the visit to Hanofa and because I witnessed something very profound there at the other side of you know the world, like we weren't even in, in Japan, and yet the day of Hiroshima became so close to me, more so than when I'm in Tokyo. And that inspired me to use tea ceremony as a way to bring people together and to invite people to pray deeply without having to follow any religious protocol. So, well, let me stop here. That's, uh, that just came up as, as, as an example of how I relate to tea. So, so uh, thank you for sharing that. And is, is this um, we space, uh, is this open? Uh, if so, I can share the link in the show notes. Yes. Uh, uh, okay. Yeah. Wow, that's, that's an amazing practice. I really uh, appreciate what you said and get me even more curious. Um, mm. And uh, yeah, today's topic uh, is about also talking about the relationship between, yeah, or just exploring tea and tea ceremony and sun practice or I don't know. Some, we, we're going to move around that, I think. Or at least tea and tea ceremony is the <laughs> main yeah. topic. Right. So how um, did you get started? Was it, uh, did you um, have it from your childhood? Like, did you practice tea in, in when you were growing up in school? Or did you have a teacher later in life? Or Right. Um, I know from... Um mostly from photographs and that my mother was practicing tea, tea ceremony at our home um, with a teacher coming to her home and other students also coming to her home because she had a, a place like a tea room that could accommodate many people. But like I was, yeah, very traditional, traditional. Yeah. And but I was too young, and then we went. We all went to Brazil because of my father's work, and um, really didn't have any chance to to be exposed to tea. It was much later on, maybe uh, after I, right after I graduated from uh, University of of California, I uh, came back to Japan and went to this gathering of um, it's a spiritual group called Perfect Liberty. And the reason I went there was because they are very keen on um, arts, arts and crafts. And they say that every expression is an art. And, and if you don't express yourself, then um, uh, you, you get stuck. You know, so life is an art was was their their thing, and they 
there was a big stage. There were about 500 people as an audience. And an old woman came to explain the stage. <clears throat> On the stage were like two men informally dressed in kimono. And they performed tea ceremony on the right and left-hand side simultaneously on a mirror image. And it was so beautiful. It was really amazing uh, performance. And after that, the, the old woman was a tea teacher of that uh, style. And <clears throat> she said, one bowl of tea can save a person. One bowl of tea can save a person. And I think I must have been 20 years old or something. I totally believe that for some reason. I mean, if you think about it, how can tea, you know, a cup of tea, a bowl of tea can save a person? But in her words were such deep truth and conviction that she lived that what she was saying that i believed it a hundred percent and wanted to pursue that and that's how i started to um to practice tea at that time mm. isn't that amazing <laughs> yeah, wow so you made a quite a big impact together with your experience and life uh, from from uh, from the war mm. Mm. Yeah, Second World War. Mm. And how did you get into? Uh, I I I I just assume that some your son practice in uh, also has a component in this, or and could you tell me about your okay. way into son practice and how you met your teacher? Right, that's a different story than tea. So um, I never even heard of Zen as I was growing up. Um, it was when I was in university um, in Santa Cruz in California. I was a university student, and my boyfriend then um, took me to a Zen center, Santa Cruz Zen Center. It was a Soto Zen center. And nobody taught me about anything. I just followed him and, and people were just sitting. So I just copied, just sitting. I didn't know how to sit, but I just, you know, I just imitated what everybody else was doing. And then came um, Kobun Chino, who was a Japanese Zen teacher. And he spoke in a in a Japanese-English kind of way, so it was very, very easy to understand. But I didn't understand anything because, I mean, he was speaking English that I could understand, but I couldn't, I really didn't know what he was talking about. And that was my beginning of encounter with them. Because he was a Japanese um, monk, a priest, living in California, um, we became close and I would invite him for lunch and cook him Japanese meals. And he was very happy. And then he loaned me some books and I started to read. I started to be interested. 
Then he invited me to different cultural events that he was hosting in California. Then I graduated from UC Santa Cruz. I returned to Japan. Now, I wanted to continue. I was intrigued by this thing called Zen. So I said, okay, well, back in Japan, back in Tokyo, there must be many Zen centers. But never in my life was I more disappointed than that time. I would go to, I would try to find out different Zen, Zazenkais. And um, I would go to one and I would go to another. And I could not find the same quality of sincerity, the the density of commitment that I felt in Santa Cruz. In Santa Cruz, it was a small Zen center, but maybe about 20 people, sometimes 30, sometimes even less, you know, would people would come just once a week, but they would sit, they would really sit. And they were so sincere about it. I, even though I didn't know anything about Zen, I felt the atmosphere, I felt the air become so serene and, and just total quietness. Quietness and stillness would, would prevail. The entire place would become just so still. Now, I would go to Zazenkai's here in Tokyo, and yeah, people were sitting, and obviously, you know, it was quiet. Nobody says anything. But somehow, I, I don't know, it's just my feeling. For one thing, the places where I visited were big, vast, hall, you know, Zazen halls of big temples. And um, they were not kind. You know, the people who were in charge were more businesslike. And I just didn't feel good. So I didn't continue. I was really, really disappointed. And I stopped going to those places and I stopped Zazen altogether. So for many years, I didn't do Zazen. Many, many years, I just left the whole thing. Mm. I see. Yeah, and uh, I guess you started your own own place later then to kind of have some more, um, something more similar to your experience in in your practice in the States when you experienced this kind of serene. Uh, yeah, it wasn't until like many years, maybe 10, 10 years have passed probably. I can't even count, but I had forgotten about Zen. Then I went back to California, this time to be a student of Anna Halprin, who is a legendary dancer and social activist who passed uh, last year at age 
99 or, or maybe she was 100 years old. Mm-hmm. Um, so I trained with her on movement and dance therapy and expressive therapy, expressive art therapy. And as this process deepened, obviously we dig deeper into ourselves through dance, through movements, through drawings, through journaling, through dialogues, through gestalt um, dialogues with one another. Um, You hit the bottom, you know, the bottom of of your, uh, I don't know what to call, it's the the bottom line. Mm. And I became totally physically immobile at that time. It was the last day of the entire program after several months and we were on the beach um, doing a closing ceremony and we all went into the ocean and something just snapped and I became totally immobile. And making the long story short, I took refugee in the Green Gulch, which is the Green, Gu- Green Gulch Zen Farm. San Francisco Zen Center. Yeah. Yes, uh, there's a San Francisco Zen Center, which is a city Zen Center in the, in the city of San Francisco. And then Green Gulch Zen Farm is um, close to San Francisco, but off of a highway into the, the Gulch, which is a valley. They have their own farm. And you could walk towards the beach. So I took refuge there, stayed in their guest house. And because I was physically not very well, I could not uh, move so rigorously. And there I had a most profound experience because my program was over. My um, rent that I had the apartment that I had rented for the program, uh, I had to evacuate. Um, so my friend picked up all my things and, you know, he kept in, in his apartment, but he was in Santa Cruz. My friend was in Santa Cruz and I was in Marin. And the Green Gulch is in Marin County. Uh, we're talking about the, maybe the distance of two hour drive between Santa Cruz and Marin, this uh, Green Gulch Farm, Zen Farm. And so the best option for me was to stay in this um, Green Gulch and recuperate, take a rest. But it was in the height of the summer and all guest house rooms were booked after two days. But I needed more, I needed more than two days. I, I couldn't possibly go out to the world. But I had to evacuate because there was no room. So I put everything. And at that time, I only had one furoshiki. Furoshiki is the Japanese one cloth. And you put everything there and you tie. And um, so I put everything there. Very just few clothes. And then I could hardly walk. I was just, uh, yeah, I walked and I didn't know where to go. I had my um, 
American Express card, <laughs> credit card. But somehow, deep inside, I knew that this is not the case to use this credit card, even though that would have been my last resort. Okay, I, I could take that, use that credit card and go someplace and stay in a hotel. But somewhere I knew that I was being challenged to do something different. So I would go to the register, registration, the reception, and ask, was there any cancellation? Was, is there any room? And for several days, I was able to stay somehow in one room or another. And the Green Gulch residents who are all practitioners of Zen, they live there, they do Zazen, they uh, work on the farm. So these are the residents, practitioner residents. They start to recognize me. They start to say, ah, there's this, this woman from Japan that who is always at the reception asking for a place. And then they start to offer a place for me. Like they would come to me and say, I'm going to my mother's place in San Francisco this weekend. Do you want to use my room? So I was given these places to, to live, but I didn't know where that would be until the morning of that day. That was such a humbling experience because I was so used to you know, having acquired this uh, American Express gold card, I was so used to booking a place in advance and having all the luxury, you know, swimming pool and uh, room service. And it, this was a completely different situation. Every day, I had to close my day, put all the clothings in this one cloth called furoshiki, hold it in my arm, and bow to, to the universe. If there's a place, please give me a place to stay. And it was given to me. It was amazing. Every day was a miraculous gift for me to stay there. And during that time, you know, I wanted to do something because people there always does something. They either volunteer to work in the kitchen or they do the sweeping or gardening or help pick broccoli or, you know, everyone's always doing some, you know, the, the Zen in, in action. But I was physically so in such a bad shape that I really couldn't do much. And one time I passed by the flower uh, working group. <clears throat> they have a big flower uh, garden. Every morning they bring a full of flowers to that flower station. And maybe 30 to 40 different size vases were there to be placed at the dining hall, to be placed at this dormitory in the hallway, you know. So they were in charge of that. And I wanted to help with that. 
So I was given these scissors to cut the stem of a flower. And my fingers were so crippled that I could not use this flower scissors. I had to use both hands to cut one tiny stem. And I thought, wow, I am just really useless. But the staff said, oh, I can just cut that and just cut it and gave me the flower and I could just continue. Like it was not a big deal. I did whatever I could and nobody criticized me. Nobody looked down upon me. I could just do what I could do and what I could not do, I didn't have to do. And it was such a big, profound experience. So like this, I spent days doing very little, um, but recovering something very deep inside. Something was being, being renewed. I don't know if, I can, if I'm conveying this um, deep experience uh, well, but that was a profound time for me. I was wondering, um, I was thinking to explore uh, the relationship between tea and um, Sam a bit. And uh, as I know it, um, uh, it was uh, Chinese monks who, I think Sun monks who brought from China to Japan and that became uh, a part of uh, some culture and some practice in Japan and then I think um, it kind of developed in Japan its own aesthetics and tradition uh, I tried Chinese tea ceremony and it's very it's very different, I think. Uh, the one I tried at least was very different from the one I tried in Japan in a, in a tea, tea house. Um, so, and also I was thinking about um, what you said, said about earlier that uh, uh, when you were talking about uh, experiencing uh, tea and how it could transcend cultural uh, and religious boundaries and I, I, that's also something that I see a lot here uh, in the West uh, um, for example any person can come and practice sasan doesn't matter if you are uh, what kind of religious belonging you have or practice or if you're, yeah, it doesn't matter. Anyone can sit in silence. Um, and that I think is some kind of maybe common grounds for both these practices. That, um, and I was um, thinking about how um, these two components are practiced maybe in 
it sounded like it, this is something you combine in Wii space, or am I wrong? Like um, Wii space, we, we, we don't use, uh, oh. we don't do tea ceremony. No, okay, it's like this presence. And, but maybe right. you could say something about, yeah. Sorry. Um, I, I wanted to ask you, you mentioned that um, you experienced tea ceremony of Chinese style. Mm. That was different from the Japanese. So can can you say a little bit more how different they were? It was different because um, it was this was maybe two thousand six. It was ages ago, mm-hmm. but um, it was kind of um, not as kind of um, serene or kind of like a heightened. Um, sense of focus or like um, like I experienced in, in Japan Japanese tea ceremony this mm-hmm. was more like uh, we we were in like um, uh, like I don't know like a tea house and we were like a bunch of friends who were just sitting down around the table and then like this person came with kind of regular clothes <laughs> and um, yeah there, just, there was not as much of kind of strictness around it it seemed she just boiled some water and then there was a bunch of different teas and just <laughs> made us taste it and yeah there was I mean there was something uh, there was like different tea kettles I think tea like and uh, different mm. teas so, I mean, I felt that, I got the experience that it felt like this was something uh, social and special, but it didn't mm-hmm. feel as kind of uh, ritualized as in Japan uh, or like the traditional. I don't know how how tea ceremonies looks like, um, if there's like more modern versions of it and so Hmm. Yeah. Well, it reminds me of what is written in Namporoku. Mm. Namporoku is the is said to be the oldest um, text, oldest teaching of Rikyu, although it's not written by him, but written by his student. And um it is very clear, clearly written, what Rikyu said um, as the purpose of the tea. He says, you, you make the tea, offer it to Buddha, he says. You first offer it to Buddha, and then to your friends, and then lastly, you can also have some. So this is exactly the order in which the tea is, should be served. It's very clear. So that's why I think um, the, the ceremony that I did for the, the nurse station, for the family who lost their members, was so appropriate, so matching. Because from the very beginning, it was designed 
to offer Buddha. I mean, they all became Buddhas in a way. They, you know, to, to offer to their spirit. And then you also have some together with them. Is Buddha like this historical Buddha? Or how do you think this means uh, Buddha? Like Buddha nature or like some kind of more uh, higher like essence of Buddha, like some kind of uh, spiritual um, thing? I think either way is fine, you know. I think the point is that you're doing this, making this tea. Uh, I think that for me, the important point is the spirit of offering, offering to the greater teacher or one that is. And that act is very humbling. And I think that element of humility is being diluted these days. Mm-hmm. You forget, and people are so busy thinking of, of consuming, firstly for themselves, and forgetting to offer anything. That seems to be the, the social trend. So that's why the the kind of um, ceremonial atmosphere is nice because it restores it, 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 it naturally reminds ourselves that we are just a part of the greater whole yeah I can when I listen to you now I just think maybe that kind of Aesthetics also informs that kind of uh, that kind of um, it's kind of enforces like this kind of pullback or kind of coming back to yourself, kind of slowing down. Uh, that uh, what I remember this kind of tea house is kind of set in us maybe small garden and then you walk to this small hut and you kind of crawl into the space where there's almost nothing on the walls except for like a scroll mm-hmm. and a flower and it's just like ritualized uh, and things are i don't know i just done it once but <laughs> in the movies with about san Moriku, um this guy who kind of set i think the template for um, like Japanese tea ceremony uh, and aesthetics. Um, yeah, I, I just felt like it, it, it's all kind of designed to kind of make you kind of slow down a bit and, and, and start to be a bit more grounded and from the world outside. Um, I had a question there. Yeah, ex- <laughs> it, yeah, exactly. You know, it, it's, a, it's a great observation that you're making about the tea 
ceremony, hut and the tea garden that leads up to that, because it is designed, as you said, with every step, you drop something off of this world and you get closer and closer with lighter and lighter because if if you observe the the tea garden that if it, it is the one that is designed properly the stones the stepping stones leading up to the tea room is never in a straight line it is always as if you are going a little bit to your right, to your left, as if you're a kind of drunk person, you know, going astray. But with each step is leading you, helping you to, to drop something of this worldly world off and helping you to go to a different world. And ducking, getting, you know, like a very short person kind of ducking in is also another physical reminder that I am entering, putting everything off, leaving everything off behind and just being humble me inside here. There's no, um, what do you call, uh, title. Mm. It doesn't matter, like... I, if you're a doctor, if you're a professor, if you're engineer, manager, it doesn't matter. All that gets dropped as you duck into this room. You're just a being, being humble, humbly invited, and you're just there. And the person next to you is just another being there, and then you respect each other just for that moment. And there's a lovely uh, and important zengo. You know the Zen phrase, Ichigo Ichie. One meeting is the only meeting. Mm. So every tea ceremony is just a one-time only shot. And every table you meet that you will have is the one-time only in lifetime table. And there's no repetition in tea ceremony which means that there's no repetition in life and it just resembles that. So I, I love that aspect of tea ceremony. I remember when I was in Japan, I moved to Japan 2007, I think, when I was at the final stage of my university studies in cultural studies. And I remember I was fascinated with something I heard about the Japanese tea ceremony and the tea room, and that was kind of, oh yeah, I found it in a, a book about Japanese tea ceremony and tea houses. And it said that uh, the, the tea room uh, is, or used to be, uh, like the only kind of democratic space you would have in this very, you know, you know, otherwise in Japanese society, it's, uh, you know, you're ranked according to your status and your age. And it's very, like, hierarchical, high art, hierarchical, how do you say that? Hierarchy or hierarchical? Yeah, exactly. So hmm. you drop everything, as you said there, you drop your titles, you just come as 
Yeah, you just be, you just sit there and be. Uh, it's I sounds very similar to sitting in Sazan. You just sit. Yeah. <laughs> you just be. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I was thinking about like in the in this sense you mentioned that you know a lot of people kind of have lost that um, humility. Yeah, for tea, and then maybe like tea ceremony is even more important today than yes. ever to kind of help people just return to to themselves. Uh, and I was also thinking about that it would be interesting to continue talking about this. We here in Stockholm Sangha, we are mm, having like a simple tea ceremony before we do start our practice. Um, after actually we have finished our rounds of Sazen, we do a small tea ceremony, but we have found that there is um, um, ethnographic ethnographical museum uh, mm. here in Stockholm. They have, uh, according to the Japanese diplomat in <laughs> Stockholm, <laughs> he said recently. <laughs> oh, I think it was like uh, not so long ago. He said that he's been there and he attended a tea ceremony with a Japanese tea master, and he yeah. said. Pro, he said it was the only proper uh, tea house and tea ceremony outside of Japan in Europe. I think he said. So we are we are like in a process to to go there and uh, experience as as uh, a sangha. So, uh -huh. but um, I was thinking, um, how do you practice your tea ceremony? Do you do it yourself, or do you like to do it? With other people, and how does it uh, usually? Can you do like one on one with tea master, or is it? Um, there was a bunch of questions <laughs> in one. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so um, well, before I answer these uh, questions. I could, if, if your sangha wants, I could do an online class one time. We, we actually, I, I, there is a request for that, actually. <laughs> that would be awesome. Actually, I have a bunch of friends from the sangha who, who said they wanted to join someday to listen to you talk about the tea ceremony and hopefully, you know, experience, experience one. Yeah, I mean, I already have some ideas what what to what to um, to teach because, yeah, some very basic things that maybe other I don't know. It has it has less to do with how to deal with the balls, but more of the spirit kind of thing, and also the cultural background to it, and that as related to Zen. So, yeah. We can schedule a time for that and we should have fun together. Mm, sounds nice. And then at that time, I will be also in my tea room. Mm. 
um, the air conditioner there is kind of broken. And that's why I, I can't go there right now because otherwise I will die out of heat. <laughs> but um, I can be there and I can show you, you know, it'll be, it'll be fun. Let's do that. Mm. Yeah. Or even the date that you are visiting there, you know, I would love if you could call me from a little bit portion and then show me then it would be really nice. I would love to see that that mm -hmm. proper, you know, the only theorem outside of Japan. Yeah, it's so nice located. It's uh, next to a river going out to the ocean, uh, to Malaram, the big lake here in Stockholm. Nice. Uh, nice. It's like in Djurgården, which is, I think it's uh, the only one of the few nature reserves like it's kind of i don't know i think it's also a unesco area it's like a big wow. green lush area yeah. it used to be like the king's hunting oh. ground and, you know hunting fox and stuff like that there and oh i would love that. i want to go there in person <laughs> <laughs> yeah i'm gonna take you when you visit yes yes and and just a uh the sidetrack, the might and delight, you know, might want to bring in that kind of aspect to the, the tea, you know, very interesting. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, that's uh, the company I work at. And uh, yeah, and the game uh, released like a year ago, I think, Book of Travels, like tea is like a key component in the, the game. So that, that would be interesting to. Explore. I know that they, they um, uh, so a few of the key uh, persons in the game who developed it were big tea lovers. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I'm just wondering if there is um, any rank within the within the characters in this game. Were, were there any rank ranks? I, I I don't really know. I think no would be the answer. Uh, mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, but hmm. the reason I ask is because I thought that it would be interesting if tea could be used to erase the rank. Oh wow! Wow! Yeah, that would be that would be super cool. In, in it? <laughs> the, the background in yeah in Japan <laughs> <laughs> because um, in tea well okay so coming back to tea ceremony I have two two things to, to say at least if I can remember one is um, well first of all you have to remember that what you and I call casually the tea ceremony is but a segment of what is what is supposed to be an, an entire tea ceremony, which is much longer. So it's just a tea, um, it's tiny tea ceremony bit that we are usually experiencing. Because it begins with um, sumi, 
the coal, mm-hmm. coal placing, you know, and that is an art of itself. And then when hey, wow. waiting and waiting for the coal to to heat the the water in this huge, um, you know, kettle, uh, iron kettle, it takes time before that boils. So while we wait, we have little something to eat. So that's the second ceremonial part. First is the coal place placement, which is the whole art. And then while waiting for the water to be boiled, we have meal, and that has its own protocol. And then after that, at the end of the conclusion of the meal, we eat very, very sweet tea cake. And everybody leaves the tea room. And the host comes and cleans the the room, changes the arrangement of the tokonoma, and hits the drum as a as an invitation for the guests to come back in and begins the tea ceremony of the koicha, the sick tea. And after that is the thin usucha, thinner uh, tea, which is our version of tea ceremony. So the whole first part is omitted. And just that last simple um, thin tea, what's called, or light tea uh, portion is uh, being spread for people to enjoy. But it's a, it's a part of the entire ceremony like that. Do, do, do you... <clears throat> so... Uh... So the, it, it takes quite some time, this kind of ceremony? It takes about four hours. It's, yeah. suppo- it's supposed to end within four hours, is the uh-huh. problem. And are you supposed to make it yourself, uh, these cookies? and? Uh, yeah, but, but it's, it takes, it, it is so much work. So you need like a team of people helping you. Yeah. And uh, are, is it kind of... Um, can you chat? Kind of, is it kind of a social thing? Or I just remember from this <laughs> about Sanorikyu, and he sits with this uh, shogun, uh, you know, and it's all the time like so quiet, and they they don't talk so much. But I remember it wasn't so strict when I did the tea ceremony. It was kind of relaxed, but kind of uh, simple simplified somehow uh, I like so at the very beginning during the coal p- placement mm. um, protocol nobody speaks a word mm-hmm. because we're all listening to the coal burning will it catch fire is everybody's attention because mm-hmm. if it doesn't catch fire it doesn't boil the water and we can't have tea so <laughs> like, <laughs> it's a it's a very very tense kind of situation, and also throughout the first um, thick tea, people are also pretty quiet, and only the the ceremonial exchange is is um, done. Like 
can you please explain the scroll, you know, or how about the tea? Uh, what's the name of the tea or what's the name of the cake that we just had? And the host explains that the, the main guest asks that and the host answers that. So that is the protocol. That's the only thing that's that you hear. Aside from the burning, the boiling of water and the burning of the coal, making like, you know, chips like that and after that the last portion which is i guess what we all you know you all experience as tea ceremony the thin tea or the light tea is more casual and people might talk Mm -hmm. okay yeah but even during the meals nobody talks and there's a way to and the the host does not eat with the guest but is supposed to wait outside of the sliding door. And the main guest looks around without saying a word in silence and see if everybody has finished the meal. And everybody knows that, okay, this is the moment to say that we have finished. They all use this chops, you know, they eat in chopsticks. They all bring it to the, one end of the tray, it's served in a tray, and they all push the chopsticks onto the other end of the tray so that it hits and makes that noise, which the host hears outside of the door and takes it as the, okay, as a sign that everybody finished. And she or he opens the door and brings the tray back without exchanging any words. So everything's done through sounds. <laughs> That's so subtle, but it's, I, I can just imagine it. Like, you just get this idea of like, uh, like you know, it's a subtle and you need to be kind of, uh, uh, you, you need to be present in the moment really to exactly. know all this kind of. Yeah. That's why it's such a great, Practice. That's why it's called tea and Zen are one and the same taste. Chazen ichimi is is also another Zen word. Chazen ichimi. Cha is tea, Zen is Zen, ichi is one, and mi is a taste. So Chazen tea and Zen are one and the same taste. So it's the same thing. Yeah. That's nice, and, and I also thought about like <clears throat> you describe some kind something very formalized. But oh, I think what I heard from this movie was, or some other place that, but true tea ceremony is formalized. But you have a form, but you when you're like doing authentically, like you said, there's never there's some kind of paradox. There's like very formalized it sounds like it's formalized but and there's a certain procedure but when it's kind of uh authentic everyone has to there's a uniqueness to like their own personality and mm-hmm. like this this moment everyone is everything is unique it's not like robotic you can't mm-hmm. look like a robot doing it it won't be Mm-hmm. Ceremony, ceremony, right? So it's like this same thing, also like form and no form. Mm-hmm. Or, 
components. Yes. And the other thing I want to highlight is that both Ti and Zen are very, very uh, physical endeavor. It's not just, you know, even sitting, I think. My experience of sitting is that it's a very physical thing. And and I discovered that when I was uh, doing sessions in in Sogenji, a senior student, well, during the session, we don't talk, but it was like right before in the, in the practice period, I was there. And um, one Australian woman, after um, the morning zazen, on the way to the breakfast, said, oh, oh, zazen is such a strenuous activity, she said. Mm. So what I was just a beginner then. And I was really surprised to hear the description, strenuous. I thought, wow, really strenuous? She was speaking as if she just came out of, you know, training herself in a sports gym. And I thought, wow, really? And how could that be? And that really got me to, to start thinking about uh, what Zazen is all about. And it's very, very physical. So tea ceremony too. And it requires all sense all senses that we have, it it invites all of our senses to be open and alive so that we smell and we hear the, the different um, tones of water boiling. We hear the water being um, poured and um, the texture of, you know, what the utensils that we touch and, of course, the smell, the taste. You know, it's all five senses and more. You know, it's beyond. And in a in a format and have the small type of tea tea hut, which was Riku's preference, you can really hear the the next person's breath. You know, the breathing, and it's very intimate that way. So. Um, it's very physical and and requires your total attention to right here, right now. It's a very intimate meeting. Sounds like. Yes, yes, very, very. Okay. Uh, I think it's time to start to finish off. Do you yes. want to say something more before we uh, end this very nice conversation? Sure. I think. Um, I will leave the other thing I was going to say about about tea ceremony to our next occasion. Yeah, mm. there will be more. Mm, yes, <laughs> <laughs> we can't we can't possibly do it in just one. one no, I agree. Next time. So I think we covered different different places here and there, and there's more to be shared so look forward to that me too so um, should I invite the bell okay so thank you thank you show